Welcome to the Walk in Truth weekend program. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn about upcoming events, our online store, how to donate, the podcast, daily devotionals, and much more when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part four of Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, answering questions about marriage. with the most comprehensive chapter on marriage, but not just marriage. Uh, We have information about widows, and we have information about abandonment. We have information about divorce. And so there's going to be something here for everyone. And if it doesn't directly apply to you, just think about it this way. It's an opportunity for you to learn how you might minister to someone who's going through something who maybe has a question about these things. So we all can learn. Okay, so we're going to read the passage. It's 1 Corinthians 7, beginning in verse 6. Paul writes, But this I say, 1 Corinthians 7, 6, by way of concession, not command, not of command. Yet I wish that all men were even as myself, as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Verse 10. But to the married I give instructions, not I but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And that the husband should not divorce his wife. But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Well, may the Lord write his word upon our hearts. Obviously, this is very clear instruction. You don't have any questions, so we can just call it a day. Go watch the Super Bowl. No, just kidding. Let's pray. We need all the help we can get. Father, thank you so much for the word of God. Sometimes upon reading something at first, we can have all kinds of questions, and that's why we come together to study the word of God. We need clarity. We need context. We need understanding. And so I do pray that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to hear what your spirit says to your church through your word, that we would not worry too much about what the culture says about these questions. We would worry about what you say about this, Lord, and we would obey you. And we would understand that there is forgiveness no matter where we find ourselves today, whether we've done it right or wrong, whether we've made our mistakes, whether we're wondering where we stand today, that, Lord, your gospel, the good news of hope in Christ, the forgiveness in Jesus of every sin we've ever committed or will commit, if we're a believer, would put salve on the wounds where there are wounds 
and bring clarity, Lord, where we need clarity. So I pray that this time would be fruitful in light of your kingdom, in Jesus' name and for your glory and all God's people said, amen. Well, for Paul, 1 Corinthians 7 was very personal. In fact, scholars would argue that Paul lived a lot of his answers. And you all know that there's a power in, uh, if you've lived something, if you've gone through something and then you minister to somebody about their situation, there's a power in that. And when Paul addresses questions about marriage, he has lived some of this. For example, we do know that Paul, with the religious status that he had before his conversion, was in all likelihood a married man. And somewhere along the way, he lost his wife. Now, we don't know what happened. We don't know if she, upon hearing that he had become a Christian, left him. Maybe she said, I want a divorce. Uh, maybe, you know, the marriage ended that way. We can talk about what rights uh, people had at this time, but it's possible that maybe she just left. Maybe she couldn't take it. It's also possible that she died somewhere along the way. And that when Paul writes in the current status, responding to a letter that the Corinthians had written and other things that he wanted to address, that he was a single man. He may have been divorced. He may have been a uh, widower. And he was addressing questions about marriage and coming at it from the standpoint of trying to address specific situations. So 1 Corinthians 7 is personal for Paul. And I think it's personal probably for just about every one of us. Because these studies, when we talk about intimacy and marriage, we talk about marriage and divorce, you know, it's right where we live. And it's some of the hardest things that we have to live out. We have questions. We have confusion. We've probably somewhere along the line let uh, a spouse down or hurt one another or something like that. And I will tell you this, that I believe that you need to be aware that the enemy works overtime in spiritual warfare right in your marriage. So I just want that to sink into your heart for a second because the oneness in marriage is a picture of the gospel and the enemy is always working overtime to muddy the gospel. Jesus, before he died, for his disciples, prayed for the oneness of the church. He said that we would be one, that the world would know. When they were arguing about which one of them would be the greatest, Jesus said, look, this is not the way that you're to conduct yourselves. In fact, he said, all men, all mankind will know that you belong to me in your love one for another. And nowhere in life is love lived out in the closest quarters in the everyday life of the ups and downs in marriage. And we've said that marriage is really the school of discipleship. Marriage is the place where you will be challenged about how you love. And your love will not be challenged when everything's good in life. Your love, your commitment to your spouse is going to be challenged, your covenant, when things are not easy, when you've had the bad days or the bad weeks, when you've gotten into a, uh, a fight, uh, a verbal disagreement, uh, it's descended into a shouting match, or you've hurt one another, or you're so flabbergasted that you're ready to give up, and maybe some of you even mouth the words, I want a divorce. That would be nothing new to those who do marriage counseling. We warn against that. We tell people not to do it. But in moments of frustration, we've probably all done it. Maybe you're here and you've gone through a divorce. Maybe you've been married multiple times. Maybe right now you're separated. 
I know with this room and this number of people, there's all these different possibilities. There was so much confusion in Corinth about marriage that some people had decided that maybe the best, most spiritual life is celibacy. And they even, some of them apparently decided that if I'm married to somebody, maybe now that I'm a Christian, the best alternative that I have is to be celibate. And so I told you last week that it appears, reading between the lines, that some people in Corinth had come home to their spouse and said, I've now decided I'm going to be celibate, but they were married. And it put so much strain on the marriage. And couples were uh, apparently not coming together in intimacy regularly. And the enemy was getting a foothold. Verse 5, Paul says, chapter 7, Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again here in intimacy. And again, we have some mature content in this message. So that Satan, notice, will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Bible students, there is a Satan. He is a tempter. And if you resist him, firm in your faith, he will flee from you. He will flee from your marriage. He will flee from your uh, ministry, your family. If you resist him, firm in your faith, he will flee. But some of us, let's face it, have opened the door to Satan. And he's gotten a foothold in many marriages. And I, you know, the, the divorce statistics, you know, you hear some different numbers, but generally speaking, they say, at least in terms of the world, about half of marriages end in divorce. Now, you can talk about Christian marriages, people who, couples who read the Bible, pray together, and regularly intimate. The divorce statistics drop dramatically. They're probably under 5% in those cases. So you just have to do a few things, but doing those few things well is the challenge, amen? If it were easy, everybody would be doing it. If it were easy, every marriage would succeed. And oftentimes, I'm at the front of a church, and I watch the wedding day, and I often look at the groom, and the bride's coming in in her beautiful dress, and dad's making threats from the back. No, just kidding. And he's walking her down, and I look into the groom's eyes, and oh, guys that have never cried before, that's when you cry, right? Here she comes, right? It's such a beautiful moment. Nobody starts out imagining that somehow we would have have an ash heap of problems and give up on each other in a matter of months or years. But let's face it, the truth is that the enemy has gotten a foothold in many marriages. And we can hurt one another and we can operate in the flesh and there can be all kinds of confusion. Maybe you have confusion. Maybe you come into this place asking, what should I do? Marriage can be tough. There's a lot of misunderstanding. I heard a story about a man and a wife They're celebrating their golden wedding anniversary, 50 years of married life, spent most of the day with relatives and friends at a big party given in their honor. They went back home at the end of the evening, decided before going to bed they'd have a little snack of tea with some bread and butter. They went into the kitchen where the husband opened up a new loaf of bread, handed the end piece, the heel, to his wife, whereupon she exploded. She said, for 50 years, you've been dumping the heel of the bread on me. Now, keep in mind, this is the day of their 50th anniversary, okay? I will not take it anymore, this lack of concern for me and what I like. On and on she went into the bitterest of terms for offering her the heel of the bread. The husband was absolutely flabbergasted, astonished 
at her tirade. When she had finished, he said to her quietly, but sweetheart, the heel's my favorite piece. And then she responded, boy, I feel like a heel. Hello, I'm Ron from Corona, California, and you're listening to Walk in Truth. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Hey, we want to say thank you so much to the new financial partners for joining us in our mission to broadcast on more radio stations and to do more free apologetic teaching events. We've had some one-time donors too, and we're really grateful because that helped out our overall budget. I want to make it clear that we're not saying help us or we'll disappear from the radio station. The Lord and our existing partners have made it possible to be on this awesome station. Hello, I'm Ron from Corona, California. I listen to Walk in Truth because of the strong biblical teaching. I'm a Walk Together partner because I want to see the word go out throughout the land. We're asking for a new partnership with you. If we can get more listeners to commit to giving at least $30 a month, we can reach our goal and join more radio stations and do more events to reach the community. And did we mention that some of those stations are secular ones? We want to reach people that might not have even heard the gospel before. Please commit what you can. So please visit walkintruth.com and click donate. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Some of us, let's face it, have opened the door to Satan. And he's gotten a foothold in many marriages. And I, you know, the, the divorce statistics, you know, you hear some different numbers, but generally speaking, they say, at least in terms of the world, about half of marriages end in divorce. Now, you can talk about Christian marriages, people who, couples who read the Bible, pray together, and regularly intimate. The divorce statistics drop dramatically. They're probably under 5% in those cases. So you just have to do a few things, but doing those few things well is the challenge, amen? If it were easy, everybody would be doing it. If it were easy, every marriage would succeed. And oftentimes, I'm at the front of a church, and I watch the wedding day, and I often look at the groom, and the bride's coming in in her beautiful dress, and dad's making threats from the back. No, just kidding. And he's walking her down, and I look into the groom's eyes, and oh, guys that have never cried before, that's when you cry, right? Here she comes, right? It's such a beautiful moment. Nobody starts out imagining that somehow we would have have an ash heap of problems and give up on each other in a matter of months or years. But let's face it, the truth is that the enemy has gotten a foothold in many marriages. And we can hurt one another and we can operate in the flesh and there can be all kinds of confusion. Maybe you have confusion. Maybe you come into this place asking, what should I do? Marriage can be tough. There's a lot of misunderstanding. I heard a story about a man and a wife They're celebrating their golden wedding anniversary, 50 years of married life, spent most of the day with relatives and friends at a big party given in their honor. They went back home at the end of the evening, decided before going to bed they'd have a little snack of tea with some bread and butter. They went into the kitchen where the husband opened up a new loaf of bread 
handed the end piece, the heel, to his wife, whereupon she exploded. She said, for 50 years, you've been dumping the heel of the bread on me. Now keep in mind, this is the day of their 50th anniversary, okay? I will not take it anymore, this lack of concern for me and what I like. On and on she went into the bitterest of terms for offering her the heel of the bread. The husband was absolutely flabbergasted, astonished at her tirade. When she had finished, he said to her quietly, but sweetheart, the heel's my favorite piece. And then she responded, boy, I feel like a heel. <laughs> I added that, but I thought it was appropriate. You ever, you ever had an interaction with your spouse and that's about how you feel? You feel like a heel. Like, what in the world just happened to me? I became Goofy in the old driving videos. How many of you remember Goofy? He's and he's fine, and then he gets behind the wheel and something happens to him. He's mad at everybody. And sometimes we get in a, a marital spat and man, things can go south quickly. We can become a heel. And so Paul's going to respond to different questions about marriage, and we know it's all tough. In verses 6 and 7, by way of outline, he's going to deal with singleness and celibacy. In uh, verse 8, he will deal with unmarried and widows. If you have the gift of singleness, he'll say it's good, but if you don't, he says in verse 9, then get married. In verses 10 and 11, Paul deals with those who uh, thought divorce, even to a believer, might be their best option, so that they could become single like Paul. And in verses 12 through 16, by way of outline, Paul deals with Christians who are married to unbelievers. What should they do if I have an unbelieving spouse, doesn't want to go to church, doesn't believe the same thing I do? What should I do? That's where we're headed. Let's look at verse 6. But this I say, says Paul, 7, 6, by way of concession, not of command. Now see the word this there? Scholars do not know if this, the concession, is looking back in the context or looking forward to what Paul will say. Notice, if you have a New American Standard, he uses the word, I don't say this by way of concession. I, I say this by way of concession, not of command. So a good way to think about this is Paul's uh, contrasting a concession with a command. Okay, What is the concession? Some scholars, and I'll save you some time on this, believe that the concession is a mutual agreement not to be intimate in marriage for a time as is recorded in verses 2 through 5 of chapter 7. And Paul, in saying this is a concession, is basically saying, say these scholars, that Paul is giving a concession, but it's not a command. There's no requirement to take a break from intimacy for prayer. You, you can still pray and be intimate in your married life. And so there are those who say that's, that makes the best sense that Paul is just saying that what he light, laid out in verses 2 through 5, mutual consent, uh, agreed upon course of time to dedicate yourselves to prayer, maybe some difficult situation, maybe some fasting, uh, is, the, is the concession. Uh, verse 7 may also be the concession read it with me. It says, yet, I wish that all men were even as I myself am, and Paul was single and celibate. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. 
there are others who believe the concession is forward-pointing to Paul's singleness. And that Paul is essentially saying, I agree with you in part that it's good for a man not to touch a woman if he has that gift, she has that gift from God. I would agree. But I would say, says Paul, that that is a concession, not a command. I am not commanding you, Paul would say, not to be married. That's the normal mode for most people. Paul has a very high view of marriage. He appeals to the book of Genesis. He says marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. It becomes a testimony to the world of God's love for his bride. So Paul's saying, I'm saying that singleness is a concession, not a command. I think there is good evidence to believe that that's what Paul is talking about. There are arguments both ways. Maybe there's a little truth in both. But Paul is saying that this is not a command for all. Singleness is not a command for all. Notice the words, New American Standard, I wish that all were even as myself. But Paul says, I know that's not reality. Now here's a good verse to kind of supplement this. Turn to 1 Corinthians 14. Look at verse 5 with me. This is a future study on the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5. I want you to see the language here. I am reading from the New American Standard, but here's what Paul says. He says, now, 1 Corinthians 14, 5, good cross-reference, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy, 14, 5. Greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues. Now, we'll get to that more, but here's what I want you to see. Paul says, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but he will say, for example, in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, that tongues, or the gift of languages, is a grace gift. If you want to flip over to 12, 9, it's a manifest, manifestation of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, 30, he says, all do not have the gift of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? The obvious answer is no. Not everybody has this gift. And then to round it out, notice why the gift would be given in the first place. Verse 7, 1 Corinthians 12. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? For the common good. Paul, if you go back to chapter 7, is essentially saying this. I wish that you all had the gift of singleness because if you did... You could focus on the gospel ministry with all of your time. I wish that you had it, but I know that you all don't. Because singleness, please hear me well, is a gift from the Holy Spirit. It is a grace gift. It is an endowment from God. It is not something that you just have or try to do. You are either given the gift or you are not. So that's what Paul is saying is the concession. Most of you will be married and there is nothing wrong with marriage. In fact, marriage is designed by God to be a picture of the gospel. Everybody with me? So if you have the gift of singleness, it is going to be an endowment from the Holy Spirit. Some of you have that gift, but whether you have been called to marry or to remain single and serve the Lord, remember, it's a gift from God and it should be for the common good. If it's not good for you, if you don't have the gift and you're trying to be single and celibate without the gifting of the Holy Spirit, you are going to live a frustrated life. And there would be no reason for anybody to tell you, oh, that's the more spiritual life. 
is to be single and celibate because you can give all your time to the ministry. When you don't have that gift from God, you're going to live a life of frustration. You're listening to Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lance, and this was part four of his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Answering Marriage Questions. Please remember that we archive every program you hear and miss. Listen on walkintruth.com or follow the Walk in Truth podcast on your favorite podcast app. We're on iHeartRadio, Apple Music, Google Music, Spotify, and many more. Now, here's Pastor Michael Lance with a final word. As we've gone through these questions about marriage messages, we've been asking some additional questions like, well, what should you find out before you're going to marry somebody? You might find out, do they want to have kids? And if so, how many? Do you want to have children? How many children would you like to have? It's funny. Sometimes you you find out you're doing premarital with a couple and one person thought, ah, two kids would be good. And the other spouse is thinking eight. And you're like, ah, <laughs> are you guys going to meet somewhere in the middle here? <laughs> so those are some good questions to be asking. What do you do about shielding your kids, preparing them for the world? How do you train them to have a good, solid Christian worldview? Where will they go to school? These are some questions to deal with before you say, I do. Hey, we'd like to help you out with all these kinds of questions. You can send prayer requests or Bible questions to walkintruth.com. Call us today, 844-48-TRUTH, or download the Living Truth app. And come on out. We'd love to have you have a very blessed Christmas season. Tune in tomorrow as Pastor Michael continues his study in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 about answering marriage questions. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.